what conditions are stipulations. Magic tricks or manipulations interjecting always happens to me that guys flex by saying they work for the state also like if it ever comes up so once it was an uber driver that doesn't count he was fine he was just asking me what i did he's like i work for the state too i work in department of sanitation i'm like that's not the same it's fine but like (laughs) let's date but (laughs) so the last one was like i'd already it's a long day at work already gotten on the wrong train once which sometimes it happens you do the same thing a million times and you get on the wrong one and so it's already kind of pissed kind of delayed and again coming from work in my work clothes and this big old oaf with less than the optimal like number of teeth what Um, is the optimal number of teeth i don't know but yeah he's probably in his 60s he's man spreading across multiple seats um He's wearing a plaid shirt that's like sloppily unbuttoned and he makes the gesture that every woman loves which is like take take off your take headphones. Take off your headphones. Every yeah. time a guy makes the take no. off your headphones no. sign at me, no. I want to flip him off with both hands. You are the reason I'm wearing the headphones. Yes, what do you think I'm doing this for? And what, the big my headphones one. are not Over this big. Ears. No. Because I like Why? it. It's this big so you can tell I'm wearing it. You see and it. And do not talk to me. So, I oblige that's my first mistake and he goes you're wearing your badge like yep i'm coming from work so i have to wear a a badge at my workplace it does not say a lot it has my name my position unified court system my photo which like you can see if you're looking at my face and like a nice little hologram and my grade of um of clearance so it's not it doesn't say the building I work in. It doesn't have, like, my social security number or anything. Mm-hmm. I wear it around my neck. Fine. I'm like, yeah, I'm coming from work. It's like, you know, people could see that and, and know stuff about you. Oh, and also, by the way, I keep a little rubber band around my name even so people can't see that. Oh, okay. So, so they can't, like, add you on LinkedIn. Yeah, which is the biggest risk. <laughs> and so... It's a pretty big risk. What the hell, buddy? What... What? Because you're a creepy little lurker who's probably looking at it to see if you can stalk me. You're, I'm supposed to take my badge off the second I leave work, even though it tells people nothing. And so I said, yeah, well, you know, courthouses have armed security and checkpoints, so I think I'm fine. He's like, oh, I work for the state, too. That's great. And I put my headphones back on. But what You're never going to know what, what part of the state he works for, Mackenzie. You missed your prime opportunity. God, I, you know. Anyways. Yeah, no, no one who ever asked you to take your headphones off has anything good to say, and I'd like everyone to, to remember have. that. Yeah, don't ask women. Anyways, this is exceedingly persuasive, as I hope that interaction was to him to never do that again. I'm Mackenzie Brennan. I'm Brooke Rogers. Thanks for joining us. I'm just like <laughs> rooting around like a hedgehog or something. Like a little truffle pig. Pretty cute. Oh, that's really cute. Yeah, we call so, we call Puffin Truffle Hog because he snorts. Oh, he's a little hog. He is. Okay, Here's so the thing that's less cute. Today we're gonna do our part two of gun stuff. We're gonna talk about 
the Second Amendment and the rights interaction with other rights and constitutional provisions, things like due process and free speech, and whether the job of keeping people in check should fall to public entities, private entities, and even within the public realm, state versus federal. We're going to get into all that. the First Amendment a little bit. Yeah. Got some corrections to go over from last week. Mostly mine. Just mine. I have one thing. Oh, I have one thing, too. Oh, cool. That I actually edited out of the last episode, but it may have been choppy, so, like, let's address the elephant in the room. But you want to go first with the... Oh, sure. So last week I said that the cameras in Jeffrey Epstein's cell block malfunctioned. I later Googled that because I was thinking maybe I was wrong, and I was, in fact, wrong. It was just that the cameras outside his cell were not picking up anything that happened in the hallway outside the cell or within the cell, which some people suspected happened on purpose, but they did like, not did malfunction. They point them away. I I don't know. It was it was super not clear. So well, I think that's why the the malfunction thing started. Right. That it was like oh it wasn't caught on camera, so it it could be interpreted either way. And when you told me this, I I kind of went through. I think I even texted you through my my thought process because I was like that's stupid. Why even have cameras then? Mm-hmm. But then I was thinking okay. Well, especially before somebody receives a sentence to be in a maximum security place or is on suicide watch, (laughs) imagine, I guess you could argue from the prisoner's perspective, why deprive them of the freedom of of privacy in their own cell if they're getting naked, if they're going to the bathroom. But if they just got off suicide watch, wouldn't it be? Again, this is not conspiratorial. This is just a question I have about procedure. But why would you have been on suicide watch? That's just a, a quick clarification I wanted so, to yeah. to uh, make to last week's episode. Yeah, uh, and my correction was it, not super substantive, but, and again, I did cut out the piece that said this, but we were talking about the Bundy party, mm-hmm. and both of us had assumed, because, yeah, like, why would it be anything less objectionable that they were objecting to? We both said, and cut it out but yeah we both said that they it was an eminent domain issue and mm-hmm. so that's the kind of thing that comes up when the government and they do this with compensation usually proportionate and they have to show some degree of high need but yeah. when the government takes your property for the greater good so say you know your house is on a fault line mm-hmm. and they have to do run some interference actually jeff sessions was trying to increase the government's ability to uh, take land and or property through eminent domain. And See, this is how yeah, Republican I know. Party has just I, become In general, I think government. that eminent domain can be very easily abused. I know oh, that you yeah. have to show a high a high need for it, but if, it's a really if they want it, they, they can just take it. Big government in all the wrong ways. Anyways, the Bundy Party did not even have that big an issue. The reason that they were so pissed to set up an armed fortress and command resources and money and, and headlines for weeks if not months was they were using federal land to graze their cattle and there's a fee that you have to pay if you use federal land to graze your cattle and they refused to pay the fee so they so they took all armed themselves and and basically were saying that they weren't going to pay the fee and they wouldn't even pay their they wouldn't pay their back taxes on the grazing fee and so they got really bent out of shape this is not what the don't tread on me flag exists for or means, guys. It's really breathtaking how absurd that was. Speaking of absurd things that are happening to landscapes, 
throughout the world and the environment and we're all gonna die uh the rainforest is on fucking fire the amazon is on fire we're gonna die like okay all right the, the amazon is responsible for 20 percent. it's important in so many ways and this should matter in so many ways but if we want to get fatalistic about it the amazon produces 20 percent of our earth's oxygen so if it's not there it's not sustainable anymore. Kenzie, it almost sounds like you are upset about this. Nope. Super. I just, it seems like you are. Super chill. It's really chill. Plus a lot of cute little monkeys and stuff are dying. I know. And basically <sighs> the the cause of this is that there were a bunch of small fires breaking out that kind of contributed to this one not big fire. Not even breaking out. They're being set. Being set. And, well, and actually it's really good arable land. Land that has been burned is great arable land for like one season so it's really Mm. farmable it's good for crops because there's it's like nitrogen rich but then because it's it's essentially the top soil and the top layer it doesn't stay good Mm -hmm. but it's a really easy quote-unquote way for an immediate buck and it's used a lot in the amazon by economic unsustainable forces to be like let's get some more farming land really quickly it'll be great this season let's not look any further than that yeah, so the Mackenzie, we were talking about this before, and you said, do people think that they will be exempt from this in some right. way if the world just loses 20% of its oxygen source? actually putting that more eloquently than I'm sure my <laughs> shrieking was. <laughs> and my first thought is that rich people will just drag around oxygen tanks yeah. that will they'll pay a premium for. Poor people will die off. But eventually, uh, it might take... You know, a couple decades, a generation, but uh, we're gonna run out of oxygen yeah, if we just that, keep I don't know. violating our o- sources of oxygen, guys. By that point, all the dead poor people will become fossil fuel. So, you know, scoreboard, guys. Maybe it's that'll be nice for the for the <sighs> riches. Melt us down. It's really bad, and we it's it is worth saying that Bolsonaro is he has openly said that his goal is to be like Trump. Nobody in the developed world has welcomed him because he is so vile. He is violently homophobic isn't this the same guy who said that he'd rather have his son die than be gay yes yes Ah, um charming fellow yeah he's a great guy oh and now this was just so trumpian that i think i actually laughed aloud when i heard it on the news but he is saying that it's actually aid groups who are setting the fires so he's contesting the the uncontested and proven fact that this is farmers who are acting on his decree of like Mm. prioritize economy the environment doesn't matter be like trump he's like no that's not it's it's aid groups it's environmental aid groups who are setting the fires because they're protesting no that's not a thing yeah because you imbecile (laughs) something that environmentalists love to do is burn down forests wow (laughs) so the problem is that i think a lot of people feel helpless because there is so little we can do that's a good point and a lot of it is the way we consume goods. Palm oil is basically in, in everything now. Um, it's used for to make plastic. It's used in soap. It's very difficult to get without expending a huge amount of water. And yeah. so it's it's very unsustainable. And it's one of the products <clears throat> that leads to the deforestation yes. of the rainforest in general. And so if you can avoid using it, it's a small thing that can help. But ultimately, what really is frustrating is that oftentimes when we're thinking about environmental issues, it's painted as a matter of personal choice. It so often isn't. It's, and we don't have the immediate effect until we do. And we're getting pretty damn close. But yeah. it, it it's kind of like telling a fifth grader that smoking is bad yeah. because it'll make you sick when you're 
60 that it's just it's so far removed and it seems like you have so little control and even I avoided thinking about it too much because I was like well what the hell are we gonna do we can't even control domestic policy in our own country we can pressure so the U.S. is already sending already sending uh, planes to fight the fire I'm not sure how many but we we can pressure our own and access political leaders access like more access to aid by international groups including ours because i think bolsonaro was also limiting who could send water and who could fight the fire uh, a big thing that because we he doesn't do... want it to be put out right i know and he, just... and he doesn't want it to be his fault because then it's acknowledging i an think issue. today they finally sent in military personnel to help fight the oh, fires boy. because of international international pressure. yeah international pressure and it was just, it looked so bad that they had to do something <laughs> so that's the kind of thing that that is worth doing and i think honestly not that slacktivism on social media is ever sufficient, but it's better than nothing. So well, it burned about for things, weeks before I know anyone it really knew did not it. come up until the last week in mainstream media. But I guess I I heard that China buys forty four percent of Brazilian beef, which is one of their big exports. Yeah, we no longer buy their beef. So things like that, it, pressuring legislators to not interact with them economically. Obviously, we have limited control over that, but that's a good place to set your sights. And then donating money is chill, too. Yeah, donating money to places like Rainforest Alliance and Rainforest Foundation, I think, are both good. Keep yelling loudly, Nonprofits. Too. Keep yelling loudly. Again, a lot of the time when we focus on personal choices, we distract from the main issue, which is corporations who <laughs> violate hey, the earth a- in order to produce products. And so making those personal choices is something you can do on a small level but ultimately pressuring corporations pressuring our own legislators those those things can do a lot of good as well and um places honestly it's places like china have such a huge impact because they they really don't have any qualms about Mm -hmm. the environmental impact i think they produce like 17 percent of our global this is carbon a, emissions just greasing up the slide over to the next thing <laughs> so well oh yeah yeah uh, so anyway all i'm saying is that um it, it's easy to feel helpless because as individuals we don't yeah. really have a lot of a lot of impact but continuing to talk about it not losing sight of what's going on and and pressuring people who actually have a lot more power is yeah. always good and i guess putting your money where your mouth is which also and with that yeah so speaking of corporate influence uh, on politics and environment specifically so david cope died who is or was half of coke industries the coke brothers essentially run american politics and just a background on who they are you got charles you got david they charles became the ceo when lbj was president so they have been around forever Mm. they have essentially controlled the Republican Party since about the mid-2000s, have donated super, super heavily to anti-environmentalist causes because they invested a lot of money and time and effort and future profit in carbon-based industries. So they own a lot of natural gas-based industries, fossil fuel things, um, which also means that they control... There's a great book that came out about this, and while I have not read it, the guy was interviewed. He's great. Chris Leonard wrote Coke Land, Secret History of Coke Industries and Corporate Power in America. And he said that 
a good way of conceiving of it is that they're too big to boycott. I mean, you look around a room, they control the producers of latex and spandex. They control, they own Georgia Pacific, which again, this is another issue because their name isn't on half the things that they control, but that's paper towels and toilet paper and printer paper, and they build wall tiles. So you can't remove control from Coke Industries, and oftentimes they have used that power to support Republican candidates and controlled those Republican candidates by directing them against environmentalist policies. Often it has paired with anti-social justice progress because that's been a Republican platform and one that the Koch brothers did not find as a litmus test for Mm -hmm. candidates they supported. But we'll get more into this. I want to talk about it more in depth because we're talking about what happens when people push against environmental regulation and Mm -hmm. we're seeing that now. And so obviously the years and years of people being anti-climate change efforts, meaning... And anti the existence of it. Yeah. Carbon regulation. You know, climate change denialism. It's definitely had an act... Pretending that we are not having an impact on the environment that could end catastrophically has had consequences. <laughs> so we can see that and and we you know we're seeing that happen now. I do want uh, we're, we're going to come back to this later on. We're going to do a whole episode on on politics and money. We're going to talk yeah. about Soros, a, we're going to talk about the Cokes, we're going to talk about the Mercers. Uh, yeah, that's a big piece of of what my objection is to them and we'll flesh it out more in a future episode, but cuz it's not just the fact of policy influence, it's the fact that it is driven by money and that the people driving the influence are doing it solely for their own financial gain. So, and the risks that that creates, um, why we are where we are. So don't think that we are overlooking a deeper dive on this, but like guns, yeah, it, it requires a, a bit of a stronger drill bit. Hopefully we're going to be able to have a, a kind of nuanced conversation about this later on and we want to, we just wanted to note it, um, yeah, since it since it happened this week. And, and For and better we'll or worse, uh, Charles Koch seems to be the more influential of the two brothers and he's the one, he's the yeah, survivor. The more, the more the politically two. influential so, one for um, sure. Yeah, uh, and, and I think more the the more conservative as well. Yeah, so yeah, David Koch seemed to be more libertarian than Charles in many ways. But all right, we'll, all we'll right. talk about well, it later. Yeah, actually, this we can leap from private versus public control into why we're getting into this realm of Second Amendment related conversations yeah. today, and and even beyond the Second Amendment specifically the solutions to it and the other rights that they implicate, uh, namely free speech, because honestly, we've seen a lot of arrests in the last week or so, or at least police intervention or notification of young people or young men who say that they're going to shoot up a school. And often that comes from social media or these discussion boards or a comment to somebody in their own life and then the police show up at the door so so what are the bounds of free speech what are we allowed to legislate and that that goes a step beyond what the police will act on because once you do arrest somebody fine Mm -hmm. what if it doesn't stick at least you've prevented xyz and then these forum these private forums like twitter like reddit and the a-chan, 4chan, yeah. the deeper... The spawn of, of Reddit, yeah. in a sense. Because they're private, what can we do? What should we do? Uh, what are the implications of that? And also, things like due process and 
I know that we were getting into this a little bit last week with things like the database of mental health, quote unquote, mentally ill, and how you get on that list, how long you stay on that list, what are the risks of being on that, what kind of notice do you get, do you get a procedure, so that implicates due process a bit, and then Absolutely. The, the right to privacy, and if that exists, and also the Commerce Clause, which weirdly means that the federal government really does not have that much control either way. Yeah. So at the end of the conversation, we'll prove that maybe it was all moot anyways, because what can we do on a national scale anyways? Mm. So do you want to start with just a little a little primer on what we're going to talk about here? Yeah. So and I can just go through due process pretty quickly because it's it's worth knowing. And obviously, the key to all these rights, just like the key to the Second Amendment, is that nothing is absolute. And so when we talk about something being founded in the Constitution, especially with the Second Amendment, there's such a habit of saying, <clears throat> but this is a constitutional right to free speech or bear arms, not even to put the two on the same footing. But just the fact that it's in the Constitution does not mean that there is not nuance to how it's applied, and it doesn't mean that it's absolute. And this is an example that we'll probably come back to many, many times. But think of the right to free speech. You cannot yell fire in a crowded theater because it is much more disruptive than it is of value to society and it's dangerous. So there are limits on everything and just the even if we're going to interpret the second amendment as a, a right to bear arms doesn't mean that 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 is unimpeachable. Due process comes up a little bit because if we're arresting somebody or if we're restricting them from buying guns, that means that you know, we're taking away their property. And so life, liberty, or property, if a government actor, which means state or federal, is going to interfere with one of those things, deprive you of that for a period of time, you need typically some degree of process. And the process is varied. There mm -hmm. are different levels. It's not just, you know, a binary of process or no process. And we saw that a little bit with the SAFE Act in, in New York. If you were flagged by... A, a a gun seller the okay. the police could come and either take the gun that you bought away or you could be restricted from buying a gun yeah so the property interest there would be or i guess it, it would be a little bit liberty a little bit property because it, it's a prospective property right um the and liberty to buy a piece of property if yeah. red flag laws are put into practice which again we've both talked about yeah. how it, when you look at the the solutions that have been offered, this might be one of the better ones yeah, because I so. I, so often we've seen where family members knew something was go was going wrong yeah. with the person who hmm. eventually committed a mass shooting, and they some of them even talked to police about it, right? And nothing happened, and right. so this could actually be something that contributes to the decline of mass shootings, right? But where does due process fall in that? Yeah, and so this actually weirdly came up a little bit when we were talking about immigration and the bounds of what police are allowed to do in exigent situations. Um, so that is often a check on a lot of these things. So due process, just to get back a little bit, comes from the Fifth Amendment in a federal sense and 14th in a state sense. So we got both types of actors under control here. But you think of common sense, police power mm -hmm. is allowed to be exercised if there's a danger. So that's another check on the immediacy. So whether it's an arrest or taking somebody's gun away physically, those are not things where you could say, 
well, you didn't get your due process because it's such a fleeting and immediate need. It's a fleeting deprivation. It's an immediate need that that's just not going to raise any issues. Yeah. And but again, and this is so abused. I- It would need to be explicit in what are we looking when? for? Yeah. What? Because again, sure. it, it's just like what the, the situation that I was kind of fleshing out is like if an ex boyfriend knows that his ex girlfriend has a gun and Can he's actually he dangerous to her, alarm, but right. goes and says she's depressed. I'm sure. worried she's gonna kill herself. That's get, a very good. And so it's so who are the people who can raise the red flag and what right. do they have to show? And what are the what are the additions to that? Is it just one person going and saying this, and then do they do a home visit and then yeah. they you know kind of talk to that person? I think that we need to be very explicit in the quote-unquote red flags we're looking for in those situations. Yeah, and it's probably a lot easier said than done because you can't really enumerate all the situations when you would need to do something yeah. like this. And no and law will be perfect. When you're textualizing the difference between somebody saying that when there really is a suicide risk and somebody saying that when there isn't, it's really tough to define every situation that would distinguish the two. So no, absolutely. I'm not saying that we have an answer. I don't know that we could without ours and greater minds than ours. Yeah at least on the due process procedure front, and there are two types of due process. There's substantive, which does kind of get into the right to privacy, and then there's procedural. So the procedural, obviously, is the procedure. First question, is there a liberty or property interest at stake being threatened by a government actor? Second, how much process is due? And process can be retroactive, so something like an immediate arrest because of exigency or immediately taking somebody's gun away because Mm -hmm. of exigency. And there are variable limits on how long you can spend, but you could later go back and say, all right, now you get your hearing to see if we keep you locked up and if we keep your gun away. So those are workarounds that obviously come up in a lot of these situations. A couple good examples of this. There's a case called uh, Eldridge, I believe. That, for example, talks about disability benefits and when you can terminate them. And they said, well, the administrative cost of a procedure is too high, so no process required. You don't need a pre-termination hearing. Mm-hmm. For greater than a 10-day suspension, you need some informal process because technically there's a property interest in the value of school time, but it can be an informal it's hearing. It's so weird that that's classified as a property interest. I know, so it's like it's, all these things are just trying to fit square pegs into round holes as well as possible to be like, no, I swear this is in the Constitution, even though it's a very broad and dated document. But, like, for that one, the pseudo-hearing required is just an opportunity to tell somebody in power your side of the story. So this is a really variable concept of process. It's just useful to know for so many things. It also came up for us in sexual assault contexts when Mm -hmm. people are like, oh, these poor men, where is their due process? Is the government taking away property? Are they imprisoning them or depriving them of liberty? No? Okay, cool. So no due process issue. Move on. And then also talking about the ways that we can have nuance in that in the oh, public yeah, court of opinion. Oh, yeah, but just don't use due process because yeah. it's not a constitutional violation to talk about men being shitty and say, let's initiate a formal investigation mm-hmm. that would maybe implicate those legal things. Anyways, uh, you want to move on to free speech? Yes. Why don't you go through the ways that this could come up uh, with things like Twitter and yes. somebody threatening something so this has actually been a, a huge discussion in the last couple of years as we've seen more extremism online and seen people get kicked off of platforms like Twitter and Facebook because of the opinions that they're voicing. There's been this kind of um, infighting on the right that I've been privy to and 
it seems like half of the people are saying if you are kicked off of a private company's platform like twitter or facebook yeah that's worth saying at the top that all of these forums that we rely on now and really the only place that people disseminate information as private actors they're private entities facebook not government instagram twitter these are all not government entities, so it's harder to regulate them. Yeah, and in my opinion, that's a good thing that it's more difficult to regulate them. But on the flip side, it would be difficult for the government if they owned some comparable thing. The government can't limit free speech either. So, uh, they you can, know, but about limited why circumstances. When you say it's maybe a bad thing that the government can't say kick off this person, Think about who is ahead of our government right now. Well, government is not just Donald Trump, especially where a lot of policing power comes mm -hmm. from. It would be on a more local, such a small sphere, mm -hmm. but we're not just talking about one party, one side. And I guess even saying kick off is the wrong thing. It's more when can we flag somebody? Yeah. Kind of like we talk about these categories of speech that receive limited protection. What is enough to say this person isn't just a 13-year-old dweeb who's being an asshole, doesn't know any better, and maybe went down a YouTube hole today. This is that 15-year-old who's going to bring an AR-15 to school yeah. tomorrow. So the majority of people who have been kicked off of platforms have been on the far right. There are other... Mm -hmm. um, Louis Farrakhan is one of the, the figures on the left who has been limited on... So familiar. He is the leader of the of the Nation of Islam. He's the national representative. He's technically a pastor. The thing is, he is a visceral anti-Semite who is compared and homophobe, who has compared Jewish people to termites. He's constantly talking about how they're doing the devil's work. Do I have and to reference Lenny Riefenstahl again? <laughs> There's so Do much. We? I literally, I was thinking about this when I was editing the last one. I was like, maybe I need to cool it with the uh, Nazi and Lenny Riefenstahl comments. Oh, wait. No, it's not my fault. It's, no, it keeps coming it's up. the world we live so in. He's one of the left-wing figures that has been kicked off recently, but the majority of them have been people who work for Infowars, people who spread conspiracy theories on the far right, uh, Paul Joseph Watson, who's an Infowars guy, I believe... James. Alex Jones himself was kicked Alex off. Alex Jones was yeah. kicked off. And I would argue that it's not, that it's coincidental. It's because a lot of the right wing, and fringe, not everyone, but it's getting to be cohesive that it's the far right loudest voices who tend to be more violent, tend to be bigoted in mm -hmm. their violent speech and tend to be advocating for violent solutions. It's kind of what we were talking about with uh, the Child Victims Act and how a lot of organized religions were right. the most vocally opposed to That's that. That's a great parallel. If you <laughs> have a lot of people spouting extremism, you're, That's an you're arguing problem. You're arguing <laughs> against those people getting kicked off of platforms. Maybe it's time to reassess why these people are right. so lauded Take among that the far as an right. Alarm bell. Yeah, and again, because I know so many people who are in the mainstream right who think that these people are disgusting, it's not a problem that is indicative of the the, the right as a whole. It's and been dominated, I think, by the more violent voices because. Trump and his administration have made it okay for these people to come out of the woodwork and be as loud as possible and be as violent and as absurd and as anti-fact as possible. And yeah, Did you even know, know about Alex Jones before 2015? Right. Well, I mean, I did. He, was, my he wasn't taken seriously. had a book called The Hipster Elite and Their War on You that was by somebody affiliated. <laughs> my cousin and I found it in her closet. Can you describe my face right now? <laughs> 
book looks perplexed but I'm, a little delighted i just want to know about the i never elite. read about it because it was sealed in plastic so i guess she never learned what the substance of the war was and thus was her downfall because she does still love me <laughs> The hipster elite is waging a war on me in particular, and that's oh, just, no. it's just about how high the cost of a cold brew is in my yeah. neighborhood. And how judged I feel if I go outside in certain parts of Brooklyn without being perfectly quaffed. And the low-scale war. The cropped, really high-waisted capri pants that all the girls wear now, they flare out, but they end mid-calf. That's a personal attack on me and my body shape. All the worst parts of my body, because it's cutting down on the long legs, it's amplifying big hips. That, that is you know what maybe it is a war on us maybe i'm gonna that come around what that book was about that's really like how it, was... it affects us personally <laughs> yeah. all of the trends the that old come out white lately. man on the cover was definitely gonna <laughs> preach the gospel of different body shapes in absolutely young women. but i do want to say that i acknowledge that it's a watershed moment for people who have identified with the republican party mm-hmm. in the past i mean my mom bless her heart has voted republic i mean my family was Republican royalty in New York, which is, I guess, a low bar because it's a shallower pool than liberal. <laughs> but my mom had been registered Republican up until this last election. And, you know, she's getting to it 60. Yeah. Oh, God, she'll kill me. She's a spry 40. <laughs> Doesn't look a day over 35. Ew. So I know this this rhetoric has been a problem for a lot of people, but I think that we're at the point where it is the dominant voice of the Republican Party. Yeah, the most recognizable, for sure. And I think that the problem is that you have mainstream legislators like Ted Cruz and (laughs) Josh Hawley. They are both in Texas. I mean, let alone Trump himself being very authoritarian, pro-Twitter, and pro-hatred. Donald Trump thanked Alex Jones personally after he won the election. This is not like the the Trump administration has been putting these people at arm's length at all. Mm So... A lot of right-wing figures got kicked off of social media sites. I think that it's also, for context, worth noting that a lot of the backlash from these private entities came after the 2016 election when we saw how easily things like Facebook, in that instance, could be abused by private people pulling the strings, other countries pulling the strings. This one ditzy, spacey-eyed idiot, Mark Zuckerberg, essentially having control over the information accessed and endorsed by a lot of people because they're selling this ad info. So then Twitter was like, all right, as a comparable social media outlet, we will step up the game and kick off hate speech or bald falsehoods peddled as if they are true and dangerous Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, honestly... Until 2016, places like Facebook did not realize how much power absolutely the, they had and how much responsibility comes with responsibility that. Responsibility came with yeah. that. Must we always quote Spider Man? With great power comes great <laughs> responsibility. They, I don't think they realized how much impact their platform had on the landscape that we live in. And also, you know, I think that they underestimated how many people get all of their information off of Facebook, I know. which is depressing. But the that's, that's, of that's their... how we live. So the way that Republicans responded to that. Uh, Senator Josh Hawley proposed legislation which was called uh, Ending Support for Internet Censorship. It sounds like ending internet censorship, but plot twist. I just learned about this today. It's not about that. It's actually the opposite of that. It's the exact opposite. What this legislation would do, and just to clarify, this is probably not going to get passed. It has no co-sponsors. It has very little support in the Senate. 
it's probably not going to get passed, but this I don't know, he man. proposed I would blame that this on low profile. I don't trust that more conservatives wouldn't like this if they. Had I mean, the Ted Cruz was vocal about the same concerns that Howley had. That in his mind, places right. like Twitter and Facebook were being discriminatory toward he said it conservative. Be, it people. should aim for viewpoint neutral representation on these platforms, which is incredibly interventionist mm-hmm. for a small government party. The bill itself, what it's trying to do is curb rights that a bill called Section 230 gave internet providers, or it's a protection. It basically says that platforms on the internet should be able to decide who has access to their platforms, what they say, and be able to kick off users or edit content on their sites without being sued. It cuts both ways, too, because it says that these intermediate platforms also are not liable Mm -hmm. for the content that comes up. So say and this comes up a lot in my job, say somebody wants to bring a defamation suit based on somebody tweeting something or posting something on Reddit under a username. Twitter itself is not liable for defamation or harassment, things like that, which, you know, it's reasonable. You get into a tricky area when there are things, and we should talk at some point about liability for gun sellers and for these intermediate platforms. Oh, maybe... Maybe you had ample notice that there was a risk here yeah, and you how did much nothing. responsibility should you, right. when do you report? have to take legally in those circumstances? But that was the other thing that Section 230 mm-hmm. did. It absolved these platforms of responsibility. Which it, it kind of I think is really important them. because private entities should be able to, at their own discretion, remove users and decide who has access to right. the goods they're fine. offering. That's basically what but it it's is. It's kind of a double edged sword with the whole. It is not a liable sword. if they do it wrong. Absolutely. It is a double-edged sword, but that part's good. when you allow the state to interfere with how a private entity like Twitter or Facebook operates, to the extent that you are forcing them to keep certain voices right. on their forcing platforms. Forcing them to the positive, I think, is different than forcing them to the negative, if that makes sense. Forcing them to welcome everybody is different than forcing them to report if something is a risk. Those are different scenarios that, I, in my mind, I would distinguish. Right. In That's terms fine. of service, clarify that you have to follow a certain set of rules and basically what the bill that holly has has put forth would do is it would force them to reveal who they pick to kick off and how they go about that process and if they were not able to prove that the way they choose is politically neutral their section 230 rights would be removed and then they could easily be sued by anyone for these decisions to reinstate whatever rights and the concept of neutrality and when i saw ted cruz's comments about this i was reminded of the way that racial discrimination cases have gone the way that ted cruz and this other dinkus were interpreting Uh, neutrality of content was neutral impact yeah which is the most broad sweeping way to interpret neutrality it doesn't even come up much in the race context and obviously racial minorities and republicans are not comparable groups of people because one is immutable and one is choice one is inextricably linked to the content of what they're posting right if it's political But they want equal amounts of Democrats and Republicans Mm -hmm. getting kicked off, which frankly is not reasonable when this comes up a lot more in a threatening context in one party. Or what content they choose to take down didn't negatively impact a certain party successfully over the other. They were even saying it had to be an equal impact on both. There had to be an equal kickoff. Section 230 does not demand neutrality. No, I mean, if the equal protection clause of the Constitution does not demand that of race-based laws under the highest level of scrutiny, 
which it doesn't. There was a case about police officers where more black applicants were failing. Obviously, disparate impact. You're seeing more black applicants fail than white. That was not enough. So I don't think we could pretend that that applies to a lower standard. No, absolutely. So what this bill would do in effect is actually increase government censorship Mm -hmm. of private entities, which is the again, like you said, the opposite of what the name of the bill pretends to do. But hey, that's what you do in a 1984 world. You just name it the exact opposite. And it's against what conservatives have stood for or said they've stood for for many, many years, which is that the government shouldn't be deciding how private entities operate in this way. Well, that's a professed goal. I mean, so just really quickly, because we want to wrap it up and free you guys from jargon. So just to summarize, there are certain categories that are carved out of the First Amendment that the government can regulate because courts have held for decades that there's a limited value to the speech. And, you know, we get back to the fire example. Limited value, there's no expressive content-based contribution that's making to society, and balance that against the risk of saying something false in a circumstance where it's going to bug people and potentially create chaos and danger. So there are a couple of categories that come up when you think of, well, how much can you restrict somebody just based on them saying, whether it be aloud or online, I want to go shoot up my school. There's a category called fighting words, and that's when you say something in a public forum, which you could argue any number of these places are. It gets tricky because Twitter isn't, but you could think of the government imposing on that as like a place where people can't necessarily escape easily it's certainly publicly viewable Mm -hmm. people who are posting on there know that it's public Mm -hmm. assuming that it's you know a tweet or something that's public and their page isn't set to private right that you could evaluate that as intended to be public and with that knowledge and with their identity associated with it so fighting words there's an old case that talks about this called chaplinsky and it's great because they the actual insult at issue was he's a damned racketeer and a fascist. That was the insult. Honestly, so, I woo-hoo. want that on a t-shirt. I love that. <laughs> and so the way that they upheld that was that there was so little social value and of course the person to whom this was directed was a police officer which always weighs in favor of yeah. the victim if they're a police officer. They said that it was so likely to incite the other person to upset and violence, and it was essentially akin to a public disturbance. Now, that was from 1942, thus the fascist insult. It hasn't been revisited, but... It's, it's not right. very loosely applied, right? Because you exactly. hardly ever hear... You don't... That's why it, it hasn't come up since then. So it hasn't it's been basically overruled. extinct, yeah. But it hasn't come up again, which means that the court and, honestly probably everybody else, whether it be state legislatures, whatever, have not been inclined to revisit it. But technically, it's still good law. There- but where does the... So if someone says something like, you know, I, I have... I'm going to take my dad's AK-47 and shoot him school. You goddamn fascist. You goddamn <laughs> fascist. When does that start getting into a terrorist threat? So that's another category of speech that gets a limited protection are quote-unquote true threats. And true is there because there's this really, really tricky, undefined, mostly philosophical qualifier that the court has put on it in a case called Watts and then later in Alanis, which was in an internet setting, that you have to really know that the intent is there and that they knew that it would be perceived as a real threat and there's enough indication that they intended to carry it out. Which, just like in defamation lawsuits, proving intent is almost impossible. Defamation is almost easier because defamation also requires a showing of falsity. I mean, first of Mm -hmm. all, it's civil, not criminal, but it 
you have to be able to, you know, just saying this person is a bitch, you can't prove that wrong. But saying, uh, <laughs> actually, there's a, this is great. So there's a category called defamation per se, which the very content makes it defamation. And in New York, we still have calling a woman a loose woman is defamation per se. Because God Not forbid, in this room. You are demeaning me, sir. You are demeaning me, and sir. And also accusing them of having an STD. So a, a woman or a, a people in general? I think that's for everybody. I think that's for everybody. But it's easy to say... I don't have chlamydia. Yeah. That's easy to prove. Whereas, obviously, somebody like Elanis was this guy who he posted under his rap pseudonym, and he said, I'm going to kill my wife. Um, And enough people that he knew who saw this on his Facebook page were like, I'm a little worried he's actually going to go kill his wife, even though this is posted under the pseudonym. And he even had a disqualifier that this is all fictional and it's for artistic purposes. Enough of his friends said, oh. I don't know, man. And they reported him. Okay. Sorry, you have to remind me. What was the what was the decision in that case? Um, so they remanded it, which is a sidestep. It's okay. What you do is say that this is constitutional if you can show all these things. Lower court, figure that out. Do more fact finding. Um, we're not going to decide because, like we've talked about, judicial minimalism, and I get it. Courts should not willy-nilly be saying, this is what the Constitution says, and we're going to paint the whole landscape by ourselves. We've seen that that has a bad effect sometimes. Yeah, scary. Occasionally. And the other thing that's that is poorly bringing up is that Scalia in, I think, 92, and this is the most infuriating, it was assumed for a number of decades that the fighting words category would include hate speech because obviously it tends to incite. It's directed at people in otherwise lawful public spaces it's upsetting it, people it has Malicious low intent, social value yeah. yeah but in this rav case scalia writing for the majority said that hate speech is a protected class that you can't limit hate speech and this was a case where white supremacists burned a cross on a black family's lawn and that that made me ask about what about you know destruction of personal property what about trespassing why didn't that that criminal well, those those crimes be taken into consideration I, it's it's really perplexing because bottom line is the supreme court has said and this was not overturned in rav that speech can be prescribed if it constitutes no essential part of the exposition of ideas because mm-hmm. there is a value to society of the marketplace of ideas you know all these political viewpoints out there but apparently scalia writing for the majority in that case burning a cross and the expressive value because expression can be speech under the first right. amendment which is the, also why burning a flag is yes, protected right 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 so the expressive value of that was an essential part of the exposition of ideas and yeah so we're just gonna have to puzzle over that for a, a few more I mean, decades it's, it I guess? seems really bad it yeah. seems really really nasty but the weirder part is that one or two years later in the mitchell decision the same court drew this elusively fine line between hate speech and hate crimes and in that case they found in favor of upholding a conviction for a hate crime against a white victim and how many years are between these two decisions uh one. 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 One year? One year. Okay, so you can draw your own conclusions about that. Uh, Makes first you of all, wonder what the difference was. Again, I don't <laughs> see how it's not a hate crime if it's, it's not just speech. It's not like they burned a cross near the house of a black family, which would yeah. 
be, I think would qualify as hate speech, but they, it was on their lawn. It was on their private property. I don't understand so how I don't that wasn't taken was into consideration. there was a separate conviction that was just for that, and they drew a distinction. I don't know enough about the underlying conviction, but I can tell you what Mitchell said to distinguish RAV. The Mitchell decision drew a line between hate speech and hate crimes, arguing that I'm reading from myself, I'm sorry. I I don't mean to sound too practiced, but the RAV statute impermissibly punished only bigoted thoughts and First Amendment expressions, which differed from the instant statute in Mitchell, which primarily targeted other conduct and allowed enhanced sentences for bias motivation. Bias motivation, bias thoughts. It seems like really parsing something and suspicious. Can I just say how badass it is that Kenzie just quoted herself <laughs> from a previous essay she had done on I free didn't speech. remember. It's because I didn't remember what happened. All right. <laughs> Guys, we have to wrap up this conversation. We would love to revisit it in the future, and we probably will. It's once a week, so we can. It's an open door, my bitches. Ask us questions because we don't know what the hell is going on. This makes no sense to us. And also, the thing that I invoked in this article, which I... I would be hard-pressed not to bring up again is that this distinction is ripe for re-examining. I mean, two years ago, I think we just had the anniversary, in fact, Heather Heyer was killed mm-hmm. at a, an event to express hate speech. And so the line between hate speech and hate crime, she was killed when a guy rallying drove his a car A neo-Nazi her. ran her over with his yeah. car. She was a 30-something woman who was killed for no other reason that she was counter-protesting neo-Nazis. Which, if if hate speech does not implicitly connect to hate crime, boy, what the hell do you do with that? I don't know. All right, guys. So, uh, yeah, send us questions. Send us comments. And send send some fucking love. I'm so sorry, Mom. Send some love to Justice Ginsburg, who is an... A beast among women. She's had like three surgeries this year. I did see somebody say that this is the best argument against women being too emotional and flimsy for public service because we got Brett Kavanaugh crying and yelling within (laughs) his first day in the public eye in that hearing. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg has undergone, what, like six different cancers? She is a steel Uh, woman. I don't know what. She just got got a surgery for a pancreatic tumor. And a couple doses of radiation. After she which, no cancer. Had lung surgery earlier this year, right? Yep. And she's had and she's fractured her cancer. ribs. Mm-hmm. And she is just trucking. She's it makes bionic. me feel like a baby for complaining about my I life. I feel worthless, and it honestly has driven me to get up earlier, just do the work that she does. But I still haven't mastered her workout routine. Send out routine. some good thoughts and some good spells for RBG yeah, as she recovers. Send some love to my dear cousin Nora, who just started college. Nora. She's wonderful. The strongest out's person hard I to know do. after RBG, who I did meet once. <laughs> Whatever. I'll hold on to that. Um, <laughs> just carry that to your grave with you. Sorry, Nora. Nora's a little bit homesick. She's the strongest person. She walks with a walker, and she's navigating living alone, which is hard for those of us who can do everything physically. It's hard for those of us who don't even have that obstacle to overcome. Right. So good for Nora. So she's I remember doing it. crying in my car on the phone with my dad, thinking about whether or not to go home after yes. I moved to North Carolina when I was 18, and I thought that I had failed, and I was a barista, and I was making no money, and I was terrified, and, and my dad told me, the happiest people are the ones who take risks. And so to Nora, thank you. Absolutely. To Nora, I've been there. Mackenzie's been there. We've all been there. And you know what? You are strong. A lot and of you us will... messed up more than I'm sure you will. 
So you're a smart lady, and uh, yeah, sending love to Nora, sending love to RBG, sending love to all of you so listeners all out the there, badass women and men out there. Yeah, thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for all of your. We've gotten so many DMs on Instagram. I'm legitimately making friends. I just I am overwhelmed by the positive. We love you. You're so great. You the put positive us to reaction shame. Holy shit. to all of this has been amazing. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and you can DM us further. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, MKZJ Brennan on Instagram, and on the Twat Beat, I am Get Me Number Two and Brooke hit it. I am Brooke Andeline on Instagram. I'm BKE Rogers on Twitter. Can't wait to hear more from you. Please and say hi. We need distraction on the subway or at work. What? No. Send, say hi. 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 Subscribe to oh, our and iTunes. Leave us a review because we're insecure and need we're lots insecure. of positive. We need oh, lots God. of positive feedback or we shrivel up and die. So, all right, guys. Thank you for listening. Good night, my love. <laughs>